0: a question for the parents in here this morning. How many of you have ever been out with your kids and your child sees something that he or she really wants? And they throw this scenario out at you. If you give me that, I promise to never ask for anything else ever again. How many of y'all have heard that before? Or have you used it before when you were younger? If you give me that, I'll never ask for anything else. And parents, tell me this. When you hear that, are you thinking, well, maybe this will take this time? Any all thinking that way? No, of course not, right? You know that if you give in, this will just be thrown back at you a week, a day, or even an hour later. You know that a toy or a cup of ice cream or a piece of candy is not going to bring lasting satisfaction. Right now, Ava, her big thing is, is Rapunzel. And there's this Rapunzel's castle at Walmart that she is just drawn to. And she's always telling me, Dad, I, I, give me Rapunzel's castle. That's what I want. You know, And I know... That if I give in and I give that to her, she's going to love it. She's going to be excited. She's going to play with it. But I know that's not going to last. That joy and that excitement. You know how I know that's not going to last? Because in her closet, she has Cinderella's castle. She's got Strawberry Shortcake's house. She's just got all kinds of things. There's no way to give our kids lasting satisfaction From something that comes from the toy aisle at Walmart it's just not gonna happen but now parents and other adults in here let me ask you this how many of you still reason in this way today we do don't we if I could just have that promotion if I could just have his or her salary if I could just have that nice, reliable vehicle, if I could just live in their house or in that neighborhood, if I could just have that person's abilities or that person's intelligence, if my wife or husband just looked more like that or acted more like this, then I'd truly be happy. If you look back over the course of your life, five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago or more, was there a time when you reasoned in this way? Did, as soon as I obtain or I achieve or I accomplish this, then I'll be truly happy. We've all done that before, haven't we? Now let me ask you this question. For those of you who were driven and you, you worked really hard and labored diligently to achieve those things upon achieving them, did it satisfy Were you happy at all? We're continuing our sermon series this morning through Ecclesiastes in a a sermon series I've entitled Lessons Learned Under the Sun. And uh, in the passage we're going to be looking at this morning, Solomon is going to put the pleasures of life to the test. And as I've talked with you about already, Solomon, he had it all, didn't he? And he experienced it all. And here in this book, he writes about what he's learned from his experiences. It's like Solomon's life is an experiment for all of us to learn from. That's the way the book's kind of written. In in, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, he gives a report of what he has observed when it comes to the delights and enjoyments of life under the sun. And here's what he has to say. Number one. That's the title, making sense of enjoyment. First point, pleasures are not the answer. Pleasures are not the answer. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes 2 and look at verses 1 through 3 with me. Solomon says this, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself, but behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. So in verse one, Solomon says, I gave pleasure a run. And he tested pleasure in all kinds of ways. And in verse 2 through 3, he mentions two of them, through comedy and through fine wine. Let's look at comedy first. Solomon has already acknowledged that all of life is vanity. That word, that Hebrew word is the word hevel. And it it means a whole host of things like we talked about in in our first sermon. It means vapor meaningless, aimless, useless, pointless, transient. That word means all of those things. And Solomon has made the point point already that life is these things. Life is Hevel. So because that's the case, what Solomon does in this verse of Scripture is, he says, since that's the case, let's just give laughter a try. Let me, just, let me just try laughter out. And many of the commentators believe that he's not just talking about comic relief, even though he is talking about those things, but he's talking about taking a lighthearted look at life. When I think of someone who takes a lighthearted look at life, I think of Will Ferrell. You know Will Ferrell? You ever see him in an interview? I mean, it seems as if he just never takes anything seriously. He shows up a lot of times, and he's he's often in character of what movie he's playing, and he just stays in character. I mean, it just seems as if he takes a, this light hearted look at life, even though I know that's probably not the case. That'd just be exhausting, wouldn't it, to always act that ridiculous? But that's what he that's what he puts forth when he's on screen. And you know what? Many people do this. They do. They think life is just filled with suffering and pain, so just let me laugh a little bit. You ever watch the comedian on TV and wonder, is he or she truly happy? I mean, a lot of the times they make jokes about difficulties in life they've been through and insecurities that they have. I mean, they're reasoning in the way Solomon is here. Life stinks, so bring in the clowns. Bring on the comedy. And you and I, we do this as well, don't we? Had a horrible day at work. Circumstances in life are just difficult, so we go home and we turn on Jon Stewart or Stephen Colbert on Comedy Central and just watch them make light of the difficult things in our world. It's a form of escape, isn't it? Solomon says, I tried it. I tried laughing. I tried having a lighthearted attitude about life. I thought it'd be great if I could just laugh at those things that normally cause me grief and despair. But you know what we find? After the sitcom and the movie's over, life is waiting, isn't it? Life is just there, it's just just waiting on us. And this can be so frustrating, can't it? You ever go out and you just wanna get away? I just gotta get away. So you go out and you have a nice dinner, you go see a funny movie, you just have an enjoyable evening, and then you come home, the kids are sick, mom and dad are calling about problems in the family, You've got a pile of things to do before work the next day. Sometimes that makes us even more frustrated, doesn't it? Escaping just it just makes matters worse. We're more frustrated than when we left. So Solomon says, "Okay, not laughter, how about wine? How about some fine wine?" Some some read this verse and think that Solomon just got, got wasted and sinful. He partied hard like a spring breaker, but that's not what he says here in this verse. He says while he was drinking, his mind was sound, guiding him wisely. He didn't get drunk and sinful. He just, he just enjoyed fine wine. He said, I'll have some to calm my nerves, to lift my spirits. You know what he found? Though it did that, it didn't bring him lasting satisfaction. Like comedy, though enjoyable, it did not ultimately satisfy. You know, many think after, a, after just a, a tough day at work, she's going to go home, she's going to have a glass of wine, eat some chocolate, throw some ice cream in there, put on a, a funny movie, and everything's going to be right as rain. But you know what? Solomon says, no. These things don't ultimately satisfy. These things are at best just a break from the pain. Look at what John Selden said. He said, pleasure is nothing but an intermission from pain. That's what we're after when we seek these things, just a a break, an intermission from the pain. Solomon's point here is, no matter matter how many hit comedy movies we go to see, no matter how many glasses of wine we drink, when when the movie's over and when the glass is empty, guess what's waiting for us? Life is waiting for us. These pleasures don't ultimately satisfy. So Solomon says, okay, if not pleasure, let's look at projects. Let's see if projects are the answer. And you know what he finds? Projects are not the answer. Look at verse 4 through 6. Solomon said, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. So Solomon moves from laughter and fine wine to being productive. And he says in verse 4 through 6 that he achieved great things, and Solomon did, didn't he? I mean, he built incredible structures. He spent seven years building a temple with a workforce of 153,000 workers. Can you imagine what a temple would look like being built for seven years with 153,000 workers? I mean, it's no wonder that, that we're told that there was no temple like it before it or after. It was an architectural masterpiece. Now get this. Solomon spent 13 years on his palace, probably with the same workforce. Man, you think Donald Trump and Bill Gates had a setup, have a setup? Solomon... Solomon had a palace that none of those compared to. He had had an incredible place. And on top of that, he was doing all these projects. He said, I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks with with all kinds of fruit trees and also had ponds dug to help care for this garden. And and these gardens landscaped his palace. To say Solomon had better homes and gardens was an understatement. He had superior homes and gardens. And there's a key thing he says here in this text of Scripture. He says, for myself. For myself. Though Solomon knew what it meant, to engage in the joys of creative work. He knew that, and and though he had great skills and a comprehensive knowledge of the sciences, he probably knew all about architecture and horticulture, and we can just imagine what these projects were doing, what they looked like. What Solomon was doing here was he was doing them for himself. He was trying to find joy and lasting satisfaction in these projects, and you know what he found? He found they were extremely unfulfilling. These projects, though incredible, they did not satisfy. They left him with a feeling of futility and emptiness. You know what? Few societies have driven themselves to achieve more than we have, have they? I mean, we... As Americans, we have this drive to arrive and we just think that, that, that our work, the work that we do under the sun and the accomplishments that we have are going to, to bring us joy that lasts. A lot of us, let's be honest, we're addicted to work, aren't we? Like comedy and fine wine, many of us use work as a means of escape from the realities of life, don't we? There's many who also reason that, 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 that work, they make an attempt at work to, to build something that will last long after they're gone. Trying to build a legacy through work. With these projects, maybe that's what Solomon thought. Maybe if I can build some monuments that outlive and outlast this fading and fleeting existence, maybe that will bring me joy. Maybe knowing they will last will bring lasting satisfaction to my life. But you know what he finds? They don't bring anything but futility and emptiness. There's a story of a man who spent his entire life building a business that would last long after he was gone. And he invests all his time, he neglects time with family and and friends to build this business. And when he retires, he leaves it to his son. And his son, because of wild living and uh, because of wild living and and, uh, poor financial decisions, he sends the company under before his father passes away. This man spent his entire life building a business that didn't last his entire lifetime. That's vanity see no matter how impressive the projects Solomon wants us to get the point here that they don't bring lasting satisfaction so if not projects what about possessions Solomon turns to possessions and he finds that possessions are not the answer look at verses 7 through 8 he said, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also, uh, also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold, the treasure of kings and provinces. So Solomon sought to find joy in and last, in, in lasting satisfaction in possessions. And we've already talked about before, I told you before, he had it all, didn't he? He had it all. Listen to what he says here. I had both male and female servants. Solomon had an impressive entourage. And we're told, we're hinted at, it's hinted at in Scripture, that uh, there was a daily allotment of food for 35,000 people who worked for Solomon. He had an entourage of 35,000. Can you imagine that? 35,000 people whose job it was as skilled specialists, is, their, their job was to make Solomon look good, to make him feel good, to make his life good. Can you imagine that? I mean, many of us, with the weather getting warmer, we just, we'd love to have just one, wouldn't we? Just one to work out in the yard and work in the flower beds, and we'd be ecstatic. 35,000. I was watching a a segment of a show not too long ago, and uh, it was this professional athlete. I can't remember who it was, but uh, he had a chef who lived in his home. Imagine this. This chef would go out, and he would go to the grocery store and and buy food for the house. He'd come home, and he would prepare these, these great meals that were also good for you, and then he'd clean up after he was finished. Can you imagine that? Having a professional chef living in your home? Solomon had much, much more than that. We're also told he had great herds of livestock. He says at the end of verse 7, I also own more herds and flocks than anyone before me in Jerusalem. How many of you love animals? How many of you would love to own just miles and miles of land with cattle and horses? And how many of you that own land would like more of it? Solomon had a ton of land and livestock. He also had a ridiculous amount of wealth. He says in verse 8, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. You know what? I read in a commentary a few weeks ago that says that just from the taxes Solomon collected, he brought in an upwards of 25 tons of gold every year. Not to mention all the the treasure that was brought to him by fleets of ships on a regular basis. Not to mention all of his real estate and other investments that Solomon had. He had wealth. Solomon had real significant and serious wealth. Wouldn't it be great to have Solomon's wealth? Many of us in here would just settle for not being broke, right? How great would it be to have Solomon's wealth? How great would it be to not have to balance your checkbook because it doesn't matter? Imagine that. Solomon had that. He was also frequently entertained by musicians. He said, I got singers, both men and women. Many of us in here like music, right? We like to listen to it when we're at home, when we're in the car, when we're at work, Will we wake up in the morning before we go to bed? Well, you know, back in Solomon's day, they didn't have the technology that we have today. So when you wanted to hear music, you hired the band. Solomon had this band. He had musicians around him who would play whatever he wanted whenever he wanted. Can you imagine that? How great would that be? Think of your favorite musician or your favorite band. Now think about them in your palace playing for you whenever you wanted them to. Whatever song you wanted them to play. You wake up in the morning, you roll over and there's Bono and U2 right there. Say, hey, play It's a Beautiful Day to get me started in the morning. You go home in the afternoon, you just want to relax, and palaces don't have back porches, do they? You go out on your, whatever it is, terrace or whatever. You're just uh, kicking back with some iced tea and you, you got... James Taylor or Jack Johnson, just play me some mellow music while I just hang out. How great would that be? That's life, isn't it? Solomon had that. He goes on to say, I have many concubines, the delight of the children of man. Solomon had women. And they weren't just to help with the chores around the house. They weren't. They lived to serve Solomon And and Solomon could not get satisfaction from these beautiful women. Now, what I say next, I I share with you very, very carefully. But I share it to make a point. Christianity Today, back in 2007, they did a story on Hugh Hefner. And many of you know who he is. And they explained in this article that because of the the excesses in, in Hefner's life, he has so desensitized himself that for years and years, he's been unable to have relations with a the woman. They do not satisfy. Although some would consider those women to be the most beautiful in the world, they do not satisfy. So there's no satisfaction in possessions. Fourth and finally, nothing under the sun is the answer Let's look at 9 through 11. Solomon says, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the tool I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. And these verses of Scripture, Solomon basically gives us a summary statement of verses 1 through 8. He mentions in verse 9, once again, he wants to remind us, he has, all, he has everything we could ever imagine and more. And on top of that, he has wisdom to go along with it. He says, not only do I have everything anybody could ever want, but I am continue to be the smartest and the wisest man to ever live. Don't you hate Solomon? I mean, he's got it all. And the smarts to go with it. And he reminds us in verse 10 that he didn't keep himself from anything that people think Bring happiness. He says, I denied my, my uh, self nothing my eyes desired, and I refused my heart no pleasure. Fill in the blank in your life. I will be happy if blank. Or I will be happy when blank. Think about it. And know that Solomon had it. He experienced it. And he says, I consider all my hands had done and all the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. There are many in our world today wearing themselves out in this pursuit of satisfaction under the sun. And they naively think that there's going to be something they're going to find that's going to to take. They're going to find something that's going to do it for them. Many are thinking, when I retire and I'm laid up on the beach somewhere, then I'll know. All that time I put into my work and neglecting friends and family was worth it. You know what? Solomon had all that and more. And does he come to that conclusion? No. He says the exact opposite. He says, all is vanity in a striving after wind. The hardest thing I'm going to press upon you this morning is the fact that you need to arrive at Solomon's conclusion. Let's be honest, that's hard for us, isn't it? Because many of us, we're we're living under the notion that there is something out there that's going to make us happy. There is something out there in our life under the sun, as we labor under the sun, that's going to do it for us. Get this, we are the most affluent, most educated, successful, and wealthy society in the history of the world. Are we happier? Studies show that we're the most depressed and the most miserable in the history of the world. From the 70s until now, divorce rates have more than tripled, teen suicide has more than tripled. It seems as if with more and more wealth, we become more and more miserable. And the reason why I think that's the case is because we had this notion that something was going to do it for us. And then when we got it, we just found out it's vanity. As we close this morning, I want you to ask yourself this question. What is it for me? What do I think is going to make me truly happy? This world has a bunch of options for you, doesn't it? Every time we turn on the TV... See a commercial every time we open a magazine and read the ads? There, there's, there's a message there, and the message there is this. There is joy to be had in this life, and it comes from things. It comes from a good steak. Kids, it comes from a great toy. From a nice vacation. From good, affordable health care. For making more money, for just having more stuff. What is it for you? What do you think the missing piece of the puzzle is in your life that's keeping you from happiness? Let me encourage you this morning to consider the words of Scripture. The words of Scripture tell us clearly there is enjoyment to be had in the blessings of this life. They are. We should enjoy God's blessings that he's given us. But we should not think that those blessings in and of themselves can bring us lasting satisfaction. That is only found in a relationship with God. See, here's what people miss about Christianity. Many people think that to follow God, I have to abandon happiness. They think I either follow God or I live this happy life over here living the way I want to live. But here's the thing. Do you know that God has created you to be happy? God wants you to be happy. He does. And He knows that true and lasting happiness can only be found in Him. Can only be found in Him. For us to experience this kind of joy that comes from this right relationship with God. We must first be on good terms with Him. And Scripture is clear that we're not. The Bible tells us that we have all sinned. and We have fallen short of God's glory and the payment for our sin is death and separation from God's benefits. But you know what? Scripture also tells us that God loves us so much His love for us is so great and His desire to see us satisfied in this life is is so intense that that He sent Christ to be for us what we could not be for ourselves. Perfect inside and out. Christ lived the perfect life that we could never live. And he died as our substitute in perfect sacrifice so that we could be made right with God and so that we could have lasting joy and satisfaction in this life. Man, that's good news, isn't it? That's good news if I've ever heard it. Today, if you turn from your sin, trust in Christ alone for salvation, you can come to experience true and lasting satisfaction that comes only from knowing God and a life lived for Him. Let's pray. Father, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we've been fooled into thinking that we could experience lasting happiness apart from You. Father, I pray that you would help us to come to Solomon's conclusion. Help us to see that true joy and lasting satisfaction is only found in you. Father, maybe there's someone here this morning who's been living it up under the sun, who is on this fierce pursuit for for happiness in this life only apart from you. God, I pray that you would do a great work in their heart and life. Show them that though these blessings can and should be enjoyed, lasting happiness is only found in you. I pray that you would do a great work in their heart and life, and today would be the day that they turn their life over to you, trusting Christ for their salvation. We'll give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name.